Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. It's Christmas season, right? And in Christmas season, it's towards the end of the year, every year, right? And it's a time of reflection. It's a time where we contemplate the last year and then think about the year coming up. And uh, we have guests online, I know, that are watching. They probably have never watched this before. I know some of you are here that you typically aren't at this church. Maybe you're in town as guests. And I'm really glad that you're here. But it means this. I know there's people watching and listening who maybe you started a journey with Jesus and somewhere along the way you got disappointed by someone or maybe you feel like you got disappointed by God and you backed away from your relationship with God because he disappointed you. Maybe there's some of you, you've never chosen to become a Christian because you faced some disappointment. You're like, well, that's God's fault. So I wanna ask this one question today for all of us. Have you ever had a dream die? I mean, you wanted to be on that team And the coach said, no. You were seven and you dreamt of of an illustrious, famous career in the NBA. And in eighth grade, you stopped growing. You were five, nine, right? And your genetics told you no. Maybe you wanted to, uh, you could picture yourself going to that college and the admissions office said no. Maybe you applied for that job and man, you, you prayed about it. You asked God to bless it. And the employer, well, they said no. Maybe you had this relationship and you're like, this one's going to go the distance. It's going to last a lifetime. And that person said no. Maybe you had a, a dream of a career and somebody told you no. Parents, you had a dream for your son or daughter. But somewhere along the route, they said, it's not actually my dream, mom and dad. And they told you no. And maybe you had a financial dream and the economy told you, no, you had a dream, you made a plan, you prayed that God would bless it, but it never happened. So when you hit a place in your life where God told you, no, listen, you got some options, right? Let me just give you four. You got the option. You could try harder and maybe it's going to be a story of great perseverance, right? Your second second option is you can pivot and pick up a new dream along the way. Or or three, you can ask God, okay, God, if that's not my dream, what dream do you have for me? Or or the the fourth and the worst, you can just stop having dreams and settle for a life that's just bland, vanilla, and mediocre. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at a moment in the life of one man where God told him no. And we're going to see what God did with that. So we've been in this series on the, the life of David. And we're going to keep going in this series. So open up your Bibles. Second uh, Samuel chapter 7. We're just going to continue in, in this. And I will tell you this. In Second Samuel chapter 7, we will find the Christmas story. So hang in there for it. Let me give you some context for this as you're finding it in your Bible. Um, the previous king, his name is Saul, right? Saul just died in battle along with his son Jonathan, which means there's a vacancy in the kingship. David has already been anointed the next king of Israel, but nobody really knows it. Well, David, he becomes the king of, the, of two tribes, one of them being Judah. 
But for seven years and six months, there's this battle that rages on because there's people who are loyal to Saul and people who are loyal to David. And David wants to unite the whole kingdom, all 12 tribes of Israel. He's going to be the king over. So he does this. There was a symbol of God's presence and power. It was known as the Ark of the Covenant. It's a container that held the two tablets of the, the laws that Moses was given on Mount Sinai. Okay, you've watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. You're with me, right? Well, that was the symbol of God's presence. And wherever that would be, everybody would know, well, that's where God was. That's the winning side. And so David has the Ark brought to Jerusalem where his palace is. And all 12 tribes unite around that. And David becomes, he becomes the king of, of, of Israel. In the midst of that, David, David's living the good life right now. His enemies aren't attacking. There's peace. He's living in this newly built, newly furnished palace. I mean, he's living the good life. And then we get to this, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. So this was David's dream. David's dream was this, I'm gonna build God a house. Because the ark had always traveled around in this tent and it never really had a permanent home and that was God's design for it. And David has this thought like, I'm gonna build God a house. Doesn't that sound noble? It sounds like David is being so generous. I mean, David's like, I've been given so much. I'm going to do this generous thing for God. And the prophet Nathan, he makes this assumption like, listen, God, God seems to be on your side. Like everything you do, God kind of blesses. And so David, whatever you think you should do, you go do it. Verse three, Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. See, some of your dreams too, you had some parents affirm it, some grandparents affirm it, some friends affirm it, even in the face of that dream dying and not coming true. But in this moment, God tells David, no, your dream of building me a house, I don't want it. This is how this goes. When God says no to a dream, the first point is this, this is in your notes, God questions who's in control. Look at verse five. I'll start in four, but that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Question mark. It goes on to say, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving around from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Uh, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So God tells David essentially this, I didn't ask for a house. Now, I hope your Christmas gift exchange does not turn out this way. I got you this. And they look at you like, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> that that's what God does. He, he tells David no to his dream. And Nathan, he, he makes the assumption, it's this assumption. Nathan made the assumption that God was on David's team. And it's a dangerous assumption because God is not on David's team. David was on God's team. And there's a big difference with that. See, if, if God's on David's team, then David's the shot caller. He calls the plays and he just asks God to bless it, right? And God's like, no, 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 I, I didn't ask for that. I don't want you to build me a house. It's not for you to do. But we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, do you ever like, God, I got a dream 
And why would you give me this desire unless, unless, come on, you really wanted this for me? So God, would you bless my plans for a career, a college, for, for kids, for family? Would you bless my financial plan? And it, it's, it's our plan because we think God is on our team. <clears throat> when life is good, I think we can assume that God's going to do whatever we want at times. But the truth is this, God's on his own team and we get to join his team where he's the leader, captain, and shot caller, which brings me to point number two. When God says no, he reminds us that he's the hero of our story. Here, verse, uh, let's go to verse eight. Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. Do you remember David's story? He was the youngest of all these brothers. And Samuel the prophet shows up to anoint one of them king. And he belongs to an unknown family, not an important family. And he's the least of all his brothers. And they're the least of all the tribes of Israel. And God's like, I took you from that existence to the king of Israel. And now you're going to start calling the shots? He just wants to remind David that he's the hero of his story and that David might see him like that. At this moment, you might think that, that God is going to criticize David, put him in his place, be like, oh yeah, you think you're going to call the shots? Let me show you how bad life could be. You, you almost think like the story's headed that way. It actually heads in the exact opposite direction. Number three, God says yes to a better future for David. God's about to make clear how much he's going to bless David. And this is actually where the, the Christmas story comes in. What was David's plan? God, I'm going to build you a house and I'm going to be the king of this nation because I'm going to build something great in Jerusalem. But the better future was this. God was going to build a kingdom, not limited to Jerusalem, not limited to the Middle East. He was going to create a kingdom that it was going to be worldwide open to all humanity and all who would bow their knee to Jesus. And that's where the Christmas story comes in. Verse nine, halfway through, God says this. And there's two words in here that get repeated over and over and over again. And this is God speaking. And he says, I will. Not you will, David. He says, I will. It goes like this. Uh, I will make your name great, David. I will provide a place for my people, Israel. End of verse 11. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. I will establish a house for you. I will raise up your offerings to succeed you. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Let's make sure we get this straight. David tells God, I'm gonna build you a house, God. And God says, no, you're not. I'm gonna kill that dream. And then God turns around and says this, but David, I'm actually gonna build you a house. And you're like, wait, 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 David already got a palace. And you're like, oh, we're thinking short term. God says, I'm going to build something for you. And I don't want you to miss this. That the first part of this is that God is the builder of David's dreams. And I hope you believe that today as you reflect on last year and what you want to see God do this year. God's the builder of our dreams. We are not. And it's not wrong for us to tell God, hey, God, I got this dream. Like, would you, could you? But man, hold it loosely. And, and, and I mean that in all honesty. I mean, we've been here 21 years at this church and this ministry, and we've been really loving this. But you know, we hold this loosely. You got to hold your dreams loosely. Why? Because God might ask you to pivot. He might give you a brand new dream. 
that he wants to build in you. So he tells David, I'm, I'm not gonna have you build me a house. And he tells him this, I want your son Solomon. I want Solomon to build me a house. Here's what's interesting. In Psalm 127, that is authored by, I know the whole Bible's authored by God, I get it. But Solomon wrote these words. And the very first verse of Psalm 127, Solomon, who built the temple for God, wrote, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless God builds your house, God builds your dream, then we're just gonna work really, really hard in vain. Can I be honest with you? Pastors, we got dreams. I mean, mostly pastors have these dreams about, God, I'm gonna build you a church. There's gonna be people everywhere. And oftentimes, pastors building churches can be more about the pastor than it is about God. I mean, we, we cloak it with like, let's save people. Yes, let's baptize people. Let's disciple people. And, and those are all good things. But sometimes when we build a dream, if I'm gonna be really honest, Sometimes it's more about us than it is about that's the dream God has for us. And if I can be that honest, maybe you can too, that maybe the the dreams that we dream about, maybe we should pause for just a moment and pump the brakes and ask God, what is the dream that you have for me? Um, Second point I don't want you to miss in this is in this scripture, God gives us the gospel story and God gives us the Christmas story, because the Christmas story is the gospel story. The text points us to Christmas this way. When he says, I'm going to build you a house, he's talking about the lineage that David would have. And you know this because you already read it on your Christmas cards this year. I I put all the text in here. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on whose throne? David's throne. David, you're always going to have a successor on the throne. And that that kingdom is going to last forever. He's pointing to the Christmas story. Uh, Isaiah 11.1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's dad. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Jeremiah 23, 5. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous savior. And I, I don't know if you have this habit, but at Christmas time, before we open gifts, we open the Bible. Uh, and so we read the Christmas story. And if you do that this year, you'll find this verse in Luke 1, 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin to be pledged married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. In Matthew 1, 21, she'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The gospel message is this, that God has built you a house and he's built you a house in heaven. Sometimes we're looking for God to build us something here and right now. And the Christmas story is this. He sent his one and only son into the world so that he could pay for our sins. So that when this life is done, there's a house waiting for you in heaven. 
So back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when he says, David, here's what I'm going to do for you. Instead of you building me a house, I just want you to remind you of the gospel story. I'm actually building you a house. And it's going to be hundreds of years before a descendant of yours will be born into the world. And he's going to be king, not of Jerusalem and not of Israel alone, but he will be king of the universe. And to anyone who will bow their knee to Jesus, they can join his, his kingdom. The gospel story is found right there in 2 Samuel chapter 7. So David, after receiving this message from the prophet Nathan, he does this. Well, he stops making his own plans. And he does this. Listen, he goes in and, and sits with God, it says. And he and God have this conversation. And the conversation is written down. And I want you to hear this. Because my thought is this. If I'm inviting you. Would you sit with God as well over the next couple of weeks? And would you approach him a certain way? Because if we approach him to say, God, I'm going to build something great for you, or God, would you bless my plans? It's the wrong approach. So here's David's approach. When God builds our future, it's right there in your notes. Approach God with this humility. This is how David's prayer starts. Chapter seven, verse 18, he says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I? I mean, who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Instead of, God, you owe me? Or why should, shouldn't I be able to, to do what I want? Why shouldn't I be able to build you a house? He approaches him as, God, I, I don't deserve all that I have. And, and as I look back over all of my life, I understand that you've been with me. God is big and he feels small. He uses the word sovereignty. Oh, sovereign God, when's the last time you used that in a talk? I mean, we don't use that word anymore, but it's about this. It's about God's power, his authority, his presence, and his lordship. It's his control. And usually we want it, right? We want control because we feel safe when we're in control, even though we are so dumb. Because we just want what we want sometimes, and we're driven by things. And we don't understand the future. We, we just don't know. We're not God. We're small. We're finite, and yet God knows. And so in this David's humility, he's like, okay, God, you're sovereign, you're the Lord, and it leads to this kind of a heart. It's a heart of gratitude. Very next verse. And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken of the future of the house of your servant, and this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. I mean, he thinks about his life, and he's like, okay, God, I get it. You took me from the pasture. I was the least of all my brothers, the least of all the tribes, the least of all the families, and, and yet you brought me here. I just wonder as you reflect with God, maybe it's been a rough year, maybe it's been a great year, but as you look back over your life, God has been with you, trying to win your heart. And even for those of you that you're not a Christian and you have yet to bow your knee to God, I'm gonna tell you, God has been with you trying to win your heart over would you recognize it? Because there's a gratitude that God wants for us. And I'll tell you what the opposite of gratitude is, okay? Here it is. It's being entitled. Some of you hate that word because you come from a generation that's been labeled the entitlement generation. See, um, when, when a group of people, they face a disappointment in their life, and in, in the midst of their disappointment, they say things like, I don't deserve to have bad things happen to me. I deserve to have good things happen to me. Those very words are the essence of entitlement. 
And entitlement and gratitude never go together. So David turns this heart, humility, gratitude, and then he has this action. Look at uh, verse 22. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you. And who is like your people Israel? He turns it around to praise. So God, I'm going to praise you. I'm not going to question you. I'm going to praise you. God, you're great. You're awesome. You're big. I'm small. I get it. I think praise is the action that keeps our hearts humble. As you sit with God, you just praise him. It just reminds us that we're not in control, but he is, and he's good. David, he then goes on to make this statement of trust. Look at verse 25. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and this house. When he says keep forever this promise, he's actually making a request. Okay, God, would you bless it then? Whatever your plan is, just would you bless it and make it happen? Then he says this, do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel and the house of of your servant David will be established in your sight. Two parts to this. David, I think what's remarkable about him is he turns around and he says, here's what I want, God. I just want your name to be known. In my life, God, when people think of me, I hope they don't glorify me. I hope what they do, God, is they give you credit and they give you glory. The second thing that he, he does is this. He wants other people to see how great God is. God, when, when people look at my life, I want them to give credit to you because you were the creator, the planner, the conductor, and the builder of my life. This last Monday in this room, we had way more chairs than this in here, and this place was packed, and there were people in the balcony. There were probably over 800 people in this room. And we were here to gather and celebrate the life of uh, Tim Wood. Tim is a friend and a pastor at Evergreen Community Church across town. Um, he and his wife, uh, Pam, I mean, they've been there for almost 20 years and uh, have led that church really well. And they had a dream, like, God, we're going to build your kingdom. We're going to see people come to faith in Christ and, and disciple them. And we're going we're to see the world change through that. They had a dream, and it was interesting. Um, they really lived out that dream, and God blessed it. During the service, one of the speakers who got up, and I will tell you this, you would have never guessed this was a memorial service because the music was just off the hook. I mean, it was celebrating and praise and like, whoa, here we go. Like they had gospel music going on. There was so much celebration because they truly, honestly, without, without faking it, celebrated his life. Now, don't get me wrong. There was some grieving in the room as well. But Tim and his wife, Pam, had this dream of building a church, and they did. And one of the speakers during the service said, hey, would you stand up? If Pastor Tim led you to Christ, baptized you, uh, did your wedding, buried one of your family members, uh, visited you in the hospital, and all of a sudden there's these people that stand up all over the room. A life well lived for a man who really wanted to just bring glory to God. But if I can point out the obvious, they had another dream too. This last previous June, uh, Tim merged their churches with, an, with another church. And the, the new pastor, Joe, great guy. He was going to be the new pastor of the church, and Tim was going to retire. And Tim and Pam had plans. Now, they were never going to like, leave ministry because that just lives in them. Like They're going to serve God till they die, right? But they had this plan as a retired couple what they would do for God. And can I state the obvious? 
God said no. And there's been grieving because God said no. But I think it's so interesting. By the way, so six months ago, as soon as Tim did this transition, they found an inoperable brain tumor. And in six months, he was, he was gone. Um, I kept up with his Caring Bridge site about just that tells us, you know, what's been going on. And I've never read words of more just trust and faith in God in a very, very difficult moment of when, when our dreams die. Um, for them, instead of entitlement, what I experienced watching his wife worship in that service and their family and friends worship was the epitome of humility and gratitude and praise and just declaring trust in God. Can I give you a disclaimer real quick? Please don't get me wrong that if you've had a dream die, that it doesn't hurt. It does. And that's why we grieve. Because grieving is a way of healing. And if we're going to heal, we got to grieve and we grieve together. Because if we're grieving, it keeps us from getting bitter. Entitled people, when they face disappointment, they just get bitter over a dead dream. But God's people who are humble and grateful and give God praise and declare their trust in him, those people, they'll grieve the loss and the hurt, but they'll get to a new place to say, then God, sovereign Lord, then what's your dream for me? And I think they get to this in the final thing. That David, he had this experience. He approached God finally with courage. In, in verse 27, it says, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you've revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. Okay, God, here it is. I'm just gonna be courageous. You're sovereign, I'm not. So God, would you show me the dream that you want me to be a part of? Because the truth and the reality is this, is that God is building a dream, I think for your life too. But we gotta ask him, God, what's the dream? I think when we realize that our dreams, I mean, they're limited to this world, right? But God's dream is actually to rescue us from this world and rescue others from this world to spend eternity with him. I think we start finding courage to live. And if you walk with God long enough, you'll start believing and understanding that you can trust him because he not just has a plan, he's good. And he loves you. It doesn't mean life is pain-free. But maybe for some of you face disappointment, you're like, I don't even know if I can trust God. My hope for you is that you will have courage today to do what David did, approach him. Have courage to say, God, here I am. And in all humility, I'm just gonna say, I'm, I'm out of control. I mean, you're the God of the universe. You know it all. And I don't even get to understand it all. He might not even show you things because he's like, listen, who are you to understand? I'm not gonna show you everything. But in gratitude to see that he's been with us all this time and we can praise him and trust him. The New Testament author, Paul, he writes it this way. Just listen to this, this sentence. For we are God's masterpiece. He created you to be a masterpiece something magnificent, a, a wonderful creation of art created in Christ Jesus. That means you are born again, not just created physically, but spiritually born again. You're created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, to build something awesome, 
to contribute. Not to just go through life and be like, ah, whatever happens, happens. No, ask God, what's the plan? What are you building so that I can join you in what you're building? Not just building something here and now, but joining him in saving people. Because if you do that, you're going to join him in building something that will last for eternity. We're God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Here it is, which he prepared in advance for us to do. If you build anything for God, it's because he's already been building it. He's prepared you and he's prepared the other people. He's prepared the event. So step into your destiny and build something with God. But do it with humility that says, God, if this is not your dream, then it's not my dream. But what do you want to build through me? And if you've lived in that moment of disappointment, you're like, I don't know if I can trust him. I would invite you to just take whatever next step he tells you to. You might not know the plan or where it lands you. I'm just going to tell you this. He's so good and he loves you. What's the step he's inviting you to take? Maybe today you're just going to say, God, I'm just going to declare I trust you. And maybe your heart's halfway there or 25% of the way there, but you just declared, God, I trust you. And he'll show you what that next thing is. For some of you, if you're not a follower of Christ today, I just want you to know that he loves you so much that we get to celebrate Christmas that he sent his son into the world as a baby to experience all the things that we experience. He had to live a perfect life so that he'd be a perfect sacrifice. And so we celebrate on Easter that he died paying for all of our sins so that he, we could, could make our way to heaven and enjoy the house that he built for us. And if you haven't crossed that line of faith and you want to today, I would ask that you just bow your heads and Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, forgive me. I believe that your death paid for my sins and I want to join your family. God, would you adopt me today? What that means is that your next step after believing will be getting baptized and you've already seen what kind of life there is in that. And so God, I pray for those in this room right now. Maybe they've faced disappointment or maybe they're not a Christian. I pray that you would just put your hand of love on their life, that they would, they would get it. Whether they got it when they were a teenager and they need to get it again, God, would you just put your hand on us? That we would know your love and your goodness, that our disappointment would move to trust instead of bitterness. So God, would you bless us at this time? Thank you for your son, Jesus, whom we celebrate today. And we pray this in his name. And everybody said,